Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Got a ridiculously long introduction. Uh, I'm sure I've left 50 things out. Why don't we just read the, why don't we just read the book aloud? We could read the book aloud. That might be shorter than, than doing the intro, but, um, uh, feel free to correct me or express outrage if I've gotten anything wrong. Um, and, and let me know if I've left anything out, but, uh, uh you know, better than me. I, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> uh, but our, our, our very special guest today is a mandolin player a political activist, a disc jockey, an actor, a singer, a songwriter, a producer, an arranger, a band leader, a soundtrack composer, a record mogul, a fictional consigliere, a real consigliere, an education advocate, a rock and roll student, a rock and roll master, Paul Simon protector, Jerry Vale impersonator, and my favorite hoochie coochie guitar player, he is a sonic boomer and Asbury Juke, a disciple of soul, an absolutely integral member of the legendary E Street Band, king of the underground garage, a rock and roll hall of famer, and as of today, an author and a hell of a good one. Um, Joe and I are just completely over the fucking moon to be introducing our guest today, uh, the one and only uh, little Stevie Van Zandt. Nice to be here. I think, uh, he, did how, you, I think he did you justice. Did I? Leave? And, and what's the deal? You can't keep a job? You know, you left out about a dozen things, but that's all right. <laughs> He's a Renaissance man. He can't help it. He is truly a Renaissance man. You got to um, read the book at all, right? Yeah, exactly. The book is out today. It's called no. Unrequited Infatuation. It's a, it's a, it's a terrific book. It's so it's, good. You are um, such a good writer. I mean, it's like you could actually just do that now. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, thank and, you. It's, and it's funny. It is very funny. Um, it's when, it's not, when, it's not, when it's not tragic, it's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I did want to say there's this kind of running gag where you talk about a lot of side projects and it ends with and nobody heard it. Right. And every time you did, I kept shouting, call me nobody. Because um, I have like <laughs> half of them. I had the second Bonds album, Archie. So, so you were the one. I was the one. By the way, here you go. Hey, all the right. original DVD. Um, so there, the bona fides are established. But uh, yeah, we're, we're so excited. And the book is out today. It's from Hatchet Books. Um, there's an audio one, right? as well yes there will be yes are you reading it i'm doing it yeah fantastic fantastic um yeah it's so entertaining and and um you will learn things you didn't know and and get perspective on things you did know that you didn't have before and um my my but this this guy just works so hard it's it's kind of a barrier i'm like i'm a screenwriter and i have a podcast i feel like i'm a renaissance man and didn't, didn't, <laughs> 
than Stevie Van Zandt comes on the show. Um, no, I think but, one of the things that, one of the things that's most amazing is how often you reinvent yourself. Yeah, you know, it, it's path of least resistance. I think, uh, to be honest, you know, uh, and I, I, with a little bit of ADD, I must I must admit, you know, I I did have ADD long before it was fashionable, uh, but uh, you know, I kind of uh, I like to do things and really really you know put everything into it and and, and then. And then move on to, to other things that interest me. So it's just a natural thing, you know. It's not really conscious. Yeah, no. It's just you seem to just sort of move where the action takes you. Which, uh, which yeah, I mean, if I, if, I, if I ever found a steady job, I would do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes doing two at the same. I remember a friend telling we were uh, went to see you in '99 at the Staples Center here, but you guys opened it uh, and then never returned for reasons that were made very clear. Um, and uh, remember that. But I remember my my friend going, um, oh my God, poor Stevie, he's working so hard. And because you were flying back and forth, am I correct? You were uh, playing with a band and then shooting Sopranos at the same time. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I I remember looking at my friend and going, like, are you insane? I I don't know this guy at all. I guarantee you, he is the happiest man alive right now. <laughs> the happiest guy alive. <laughs> poor me. I have to go from playing with like the best rock band out there to going to be on the best TV show out there. <laughs> Hard, hard, terrible life. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I, I was, I was lucky to be able to do it because uh, you know David Chase happened to be a fan, luckily, so he scheduled my scenes on on the days off, you know, and uh, you know the part was a little smaller than it would have been, and you know some things I regret. I, I would have loved to have gotten into the writing and and maybe oh. directing of panels, you know, but uh, which might have happened had I been there full time. Mm. But, you know, I, I cannot complain. I'm not going to complain. Gonna... <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I really was, I was, I was uh, thrilled to be able to do both. I did not want to have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that was an amazing time. Um, and one, one of the things that was fun, and I sort of knew this because I, I, I followed you on Twitter and, and uh, uh, make no, no bones about this. But one of the things that was nice reading through the book is that um, two of the constants, obviously uh, rock and roll is one of them. Um, but movies, man, I mean, you're like, I think we're like three pages into it and you were already talking about Elevator of the Gallows. And like this guy, this guy likes movies. This is not a guy who just, you know, hops on and watches, you know, whatever the latest thing on HBO. This is a movie fan. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but when did he find time? Well, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Do you sleep, sir? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, uh, you know, for you guys, you know, you, you have to make a quick list and then I try to keep the list mostly, you know, youth oriented, you know, by the, uh, I, I think, I don't, you know, I didn't go past, I certainly didn't go past the late seventies. I don't think, you know, but, you know, try to keep it the, the, out, the actual movies that, that did influence me, you know, yeah. you know, at a time when you did have time to go, you know, I mean, I used to go to the movies all the time, um, especially moving to New York, you know, which was, uh, for the darkness record would have been like 77. Um, you know, suddenly, you know, Times Square, man, was like, you know, you know, coming coming from coming from suburban New Jersey, where the only movie theater was, you know, miles away, you know, yeah. suddenly, suddenly you got, you know, a hundred movies. And uh, so, you know, yeah, yeah, I really, I did enjoy them, especially uh, that black exploitation period, you know, the big period for me. I, I love that. And, uh, you know, it was, just, it, was a, it was a thing you did. In those days, you know, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot else to do, <laughs> let's face it. Uh, 
you couldn't really work, you know, you know, working as a rock and roll band was not so easy to do back then. So um, you had plenty of time, you know, and what, right. what are you gonna do with no, no cell phones, no video games, no, no internet, no nothing, right? Well, yeah, and one of the reasons we do the show is, you know, now there are so many distractions and there's so many options that um, in the absence of, you know, just three channels where you're sort of forced to watch whatever's on, uh, we, we try to turn our audience onto stuff that they might not know. So it's um, uh, great, great to have people who came up when you did and talking about these films. Um, yeah, and it was, it was also just really interesting how many times movies sort of intersected with your, uh, um, I don't know if you want to tell briefly, but, but the, the straight line from Breathless to uh, The Fall of Apartheid is pretty interesting to me. <laughs> 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 well, you, you, you want to make that connection in, in a 30 second can you, yeah if you can do it if you can do it for our audience like 30 seconds I don't in, want to edit in, you instead so. of the five chapters <laughs> <laughs> oh you guys are funny uh, you know I, 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 like I say I, I think I made that very clear in the book you know how I got to South Africa was just like I have no idea I mean it was just one of those things that I, I um uh, the least political person in the world growing up and, and uh you know circumstances man circumstances are big you know and uh i i had uh, gotten to the point where we had just just achieved success for the first time after 15 years of work you know we had the longest we had the longest gestation period i'm sure of any rock band in history um i think the beatles were probably second uh, you know, they, 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 uh, got together like 57 and started having hits in 62. Um, you know, we started playing, you know, in 65 and didn't have a hit till 1980. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't try that today, kids, if you can, you know, if you can help it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so we just have our first success and, uh, and I, 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 a kid asked me, you know, in Germany, why are you putting missiles in our country? You know, uh, I was like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, and and it, and, it, and it stayed with me for a few weeks until it, it was like a, a real revelation. I was like, oh my god, I'm an American, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know. You, you don't, you're not really conscious of that until you, until you leave here, you know, uh, and, and, and you realize being somebody's looking at you through a different, uh, in a whole different way. And, um, you know, you're not a guitar player, you're not a Republican, you're not a Democrat, you're an American. And it just had never occurred to me before. And I'm like, Oh man, I wonder, maybe I am putting missiles in this country. I, you know, we're supposed to be a democracy. And of course I found out later that we're not, but, but, you know, we're, we're kind of a democracy. And, and so we're kind of responsible for what our government does. And uh, I, 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 it, it, it just pushed me into this a real rabbit hole of, uh, of learning about what the hell we're doing since World War II. And I studied our foreign policy since World War II, and I was completely shocked by what I found, you know. I, I grew up with a Goldwater Republican father, ex-Marine. You know, so, uh, you know, we were the generation gap. We, we defined yeah. it. And uh, but but I had, you know, but I had that thing in my head that we were the heroes of democracy around the world and we we're the good guys. You know, we all grew up with that, you know, 
And so it was a really sh a shock to find out that we were not always the good guys. In fact, we were backing a lot of really bad guys. And, uh, and uh, South Africa was one of them. You know, that was just that was just one on the list. And I, I couldn't find out anything about it. It was hard to find out things about it. It, was, it wasn't really an issue in America, you know? Right. You know, a couple, couple people, you know, uh, trying to boycott some companies that were there, you know, a little bit, but um, not really, you know? So uh, I had to go down here. I went down here twice in 84, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, it was shocking. It was shocking for me being from, you know, New York, uh, New Jersey, uh, to see slavery, you know, kind of alive and well, you know. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I got to do something about this. Gotta, I got to at least talk about it, you know. And that led to that whole project, which uh, very glad we did it then because you couldn't do it now. You know, that's for sure. Different world, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what's, yeah, can, so can you can you tell the list without, I mean, there's so many things you can talk about without ruining the book, even if you give them away, the, the, the straight line from Breathless. Yeah, I, I go, um, I forget what we're doing. Uh, um, I'm not sure why I was in L.A., but I was in L.A. for something. And I go to one of those art theaters, you know, which is probably no longer there. And um, and I go to see Breathless. Yeah, and uh, and the kid, the projectionist, plays uh, the song before the movie starts. You know, it turned out to be Biko. And at first I thought it was Stevie Winwood. And I, but it was a, you know, I was a big Stevie Winwood traffic fan and, and, it, and I didn't remember the song. And I, so I went to the kid afterwards. I said, what's that? You know, he says, well, this guy, Peter Gabriel, who I'd never heard of, cause I was, I'm not, a, I'm not really a progressive art uh, subgenre guy. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about Genesis or, you know, that whole world. Uh, so I'd never heard of him, um, but the song was just incredible. And, um, and from that, I learned uh, this guy, Stephen Biko, was a, a political prisoner in, in South Africa. And, and it got me into the entire yeah, subject. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's, Godard uh, would be proud. Yeah, Godard would be very proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my sense of the gentleman is he'll probably take credit for it, too, once, uh, once he finds out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, but uh, I'd love to, yeah, do you want to just sort of jump in? So, so, um, Stevie did the thing that, uh, I always feel terrible for our guests because people are like, yeah, that sounds fun. And then it gets closer and they're like, this is fucking homework. And you know, the night before, like Joe and I are, well, we're hanging out, we're watching movies, we're doing whatever. And our guests are having to do this work. And, and he said me, I think there was like a list of like 50 movies. I was like, I can't do it. This is like, you kind of, so I sort of wittered him back and sent it back. And then he threw another one on top and. I did tell him it's perfectly all right. If you come in tomorrow, you've got 10 completely different films. Cause honestly, I couldn't do this. I could not, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, no, I mean, at first it's like, Oh, this is easy. You know, right. I can, <laughs> I can, I can name you 10 right now. You know, but then five minutes later, it would be a different 10. That's you right. know, you know, and and yeah. so I said, well, let me eliminate all the classics. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And let me start with the more eccentric, a uh, little bit, a little bit, a little bit more eccentric and maybe things that people wouldn't know, you know, but I don't know. In the end, you know, it was a mixture. I let you, I let you pick them. So. Yeah. Well, it's uh, great. Well, you want to just, okay. So I'll, uh, cause sometimes we also pretend that we don't know what the guests are going to talk about, but I'm, I'm, I think I already blew that. I already blew that. But yeah, I don't know. Let's, I sort of have, I put them in this order for no particular reason, but um, 
Uh, yeah, let's talk about Cagney. Let's talk about Angels with Dirty Faces. The slums of the big town, as packed with drama and danger as the squalid streets of some native quarter. In the heart of this melting pot of crime stands an oasis where one man struggles against the forces that turn his loved ones to lives of violence and shame. Into this atmosphere walks the most ruthless character you have ever seen on the screen. A killer returning to the slums that nurtured him and to the man who, strangely enough, had been his boyhood comrade. From the meeting of this strange pair evolves the most devastating blast of drama to hit the screen since Public Enemy, Angels with Dirty Faces. Yeah, that was a big impact on me as a kid. Um, uh, I, and I, and I, I've, used, I've said this several times, but it's probably the reason why I did not end up being a real soprano because of that uh, <laughs> really? final scene of the thing. Really? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a yeah, I mean, that, the final scene of that movie yeah. man, uh, was scared the hell out of me. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it's Jimmy Cagney going to the chair, you know, going to the electric chair, which you youngsters was a, <laughs> a medieval device that, uh, you know, we'd strap people into and then electrocute them. Uh, only when they're bad, uh, only when they're bad. Yeah, when they're very, very, very bad. bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a classic story uh, of, of, of two kids, you know, stealing something and, and, uh, and the one kid makes it over the fence and the other one doesn't. And the one that makes it over the fence uh, becomes a priest, and uh, and the one that doesn't, you know, goes to reform school and becomes a, a criminal. And uh, it was great because it had the, it had the, the you know the uh, East Side kids, uh, whatever they were called back then, Bowery before the Bowery boys. I think that was the dead end kids at that point. What, what were they? The, the dead end kids. Oh, dead end kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right from the from the Bogart movie, right? Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, uh, has so it has it has those you know what we came to know as the Bowery Boys, uh, and it's just, a, it's just a classic film. But but that last scene, oh so so, well I, I guess I already did a spoiler alert. But but yeah, uh, it's, I think the statute of limitations is up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so 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 Jerry, you know, uh, uh, Pat O'Brien uh, goes to goes to Rocky, you know, uh, Cagney. Uh, right before he's about to get the chair and, and says, listen, man, do one thing. You've been, you know, you've been such a fuck up your whole life. You know, can you do this one good thing? <laughs> and, and, you know, all of these kids now, you know, the, the dead end kids, you know, the, the local gang are now, you know, you become their hero. Can you, you know, uh, turn chicken or turn yellow, whatever the phrase was, you know, can you, can you, can you, uh, you know, uh, pretend you're really afraid and, and give up your dignity on your way to the chair, you know? And Cagney says, what, are you kidding me? That's just the last thing I got left, you know? There's no, there's no, no way, you know, forget it, you know? Uh, and uh, he's a real tough guy, you know, Cagney, of course. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then on his way, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's you know, shot really great, you know, it's Michael Cortez. And, uh, and they showed a shadow, you know, it's done in shadows. Yeah. And he's, he's going towards the, he's going towards the electric chair, and, and he starts grabbing the railings, and 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 you know, and he starts pretending he's afraid, you know. And man, it is uh, it is incredible moment, uh, you know. Um, so he did the right thing in the end, you know. And 
and then they fried him, you know, and then, uh, you know, so, so, you know, it was a really, really, but it was really, you know, it, it really scared the, the, the fuck out of me as a kid. I'm like, oh wow. man, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and pick a different way of making a living. <laughs> Well, here you 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 beat me to one because I was going to ask you: Do you what do you believe that he was uh, faking? But you 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 seem to. Um, I, I do. Yes. Yeah, oh, I, I think mean, it's he, I think it's pretty apparent that he was faking. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see it a long time. I just remember as a as a kid being. It may have been my first introduction to um, um, ambiguity. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think it's it's less he's ambiguous faking. when when they dolly into Pat O'Brien's face and he's like you know saying saying a prayer for you know thank you Ron yeah. you know yeah yeah and, and, you know, and, and his whole his whole character throughout is the epitome of the tough guy you know the traditional traditional macho tough guy you know so I mean you know and, and he would have he would have he would have spit in their eyes and and then you know. I don't know. Well, though. It's, yeah. it's, who, who knows what we're gonna do when uh, what's the wall show when death's on the line? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I have not seen it in a long time, but I I did. I I have always sort of because the thing I liked about it is that you can go both ways, and they're both kind of interesting takes on the character. But I mean, obviously, yeah. obviously, it's Cagney. I want to believe. I want to. I want to stand firmly with you guys. But but. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, be the contrarian. Go ahead. It's 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 uh, it's by nature, but I love the fact. So um, it really worked on you. Oh yeah, no, that was real emotional impact. You know, I mean, I don't know how old I was. You know, they're showing these things on TV. You know, it makes me laugh the way they the way they censor things. You know, they, they would never show you know you know a woman's naked breasts. You know, right. But, you know, you want to see somebody get the electric chair? No problem. Yeah. You, know? you know, I mean, it's, it's like, what a sick country we live in. But uh, anyway, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how old I was. I mean, I could have been young because, you know, it's, it's 1938 or whatever. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, they start showing it on TV probably in the, in the 50s. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could have been, I could have been, you know, eight years old, seven years old, 10 years old. I don't know. I love that it had impact because no matter what any of us says, we're we're all hoping that you know our movies will reach people and teach them something, and we'll never admit to it. So <laughs> it's kind of nice that that got through. But yeah, to what you were saying, I still remember one of the. I remember being on an airplane years ago, and they were showing. I, I didn't get the headphones because I'd seen it a million times. They were showing uh, the Fisher King, the Terry Gilliam film, and I don't know if you remember. There's there's um. Uh, there, there's a scene where they flash back to Robin Williams' wife getting shot to death in a restaurant and her brains explode outward and splatter down his face. And I'm oh, sitting yeah. on the airplane, I look up and they show that. And then there's a scene later where Robin Williams, who's like, you know, what he had to be like late 40s at that point, pudgy little hairy guy running around naked in Central Park in the dark. And they cut all that because God forbid <laughs> anyone should look up from the airplane and see pudgy little Robin Williams, like little peepee at night in Central Park, but it was perfectly all right to show the brains, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, exactly. It's yeah. Um, well, let's let's I I uh, I love that one. One one that I've only recently seen. There's a great uh, double Blu-ray set of this in the sequel, um, and no one is actually no one's talking about the angels either. But no one had ever brought up Tony Rome. Meet a very private private eye who scrutinizes every angle of his cases from top to bottom. His name is Tony Rome. Oh, yeah. 
You're going to be my next case. His clients are both demanding and dangerous. Are you sure you're working hard enough? Me working hard enough? Do you notice since I took this job, I've had to turn down two offers to go to bed? And I never want to work that hard again. Never. Frank Sinatra is Tony Rome. One of the greatest, one of the greatest, one of my favorite movies. Uh, first of all, every line of dialogue is great. The entire thing, every single line is great. Uh, premise is great. Uh, you know, uh, he's, you know, it's it's kind of semi-serious. Obviously, it's kind of you know, tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing, but uh, but it's great. You know, and uh, you know, still St. John. You know, in a prime. You know, and. Uh, uh, Simon Oakland great in it, and uh, you know he, he lives on a boat. You know, right? Yes. And uh, you know, I love Nancy Sinatra, and I love the, uh, the I love the theme song, you know, which of course we play on my radio station. This is one of those cool movies, man. It's just really cool. I mean, I think it was the first time, you know, because up until then, you know, you, you're thinking, you know, the coolest guys, you know, get all the girls, you know, you know, James Bond, you know, that whole James Bond thing, which was big. Uh, sure. You know, I, I listed one of those. Um, you know, that thing of just, you know, having sex with any girl you want to, you know, was, was kind of the coolest thing. And then here's Tony Rome. There's one thing cooler than having sex with every girl you see <laughs> when you're a kid. Uh, the one, the one cooler thing is turning them all down. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was a, that was new. You know, that was a new kind of idea. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, three different girls want to sleep with Tony Romo. He's like, I ain't got time. You know, later, later, later. You know, <laughs> you know. So I mean, that you know, that made him absolutely the coolest guy in the world. You know, I mean, he's right. already Frank Sinatra. You know, you know, already cool going in. But uh, I just love that movie. If you see it, if you see it, you know, you'll see what I mean. Every, every almost every line of dialogue is great. Yeah, it's so uh, much fun. Um, the sequel's you know, a hoot too. I remember there's a scene. Uh, Raquel Welch is the girl. This which they never show. They never show this movie. Never, never. Really? Uh, uh, Lady in Cement, I think it's called. Yeah, they don't show. Yeah, much. it's true. They never. They you never see that for some reason. I mean, I I, I had to like uh, once in a while you, you catch a movie like that that just never never gets shown. I don't know why. Um, you know, for a while they were they were doing they were doing Star Wars marathons. Uh, I mean, Star Trek marathons. And leaving out number four, which was my favorite movie. Yeah? I mean, you know, they do a marathon, like, you know, whatever it is, one through seven, you know, and they leave out right. number four. What, what, what's the matter How with you, you people? But they'd show five? That's one. Huh? They show five, but not four? They show all of them. Yeah. They were, for, for, I'm, I'm telling you, for years they left it out. They just started. They started finally, like a month or two ago, they finally started putting it back into, into circulation. I'm like, that's the best one. That's my favorite. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway. Certain movies you can't see. I mean, you can't, and I try to buy it. You can't buy it. Uh, 
another movie that bugs the hell out of me that you can't buy is the, the Killer. You remember the Killer, John John Woo? John Woo. Uh, you know you know that one, Joe? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah. You ever see that? You know you can't you can't buy it. You can't see it. It's never on TV ever. It's just an absolute classic movie. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Chow Young Fat, you know, Chow Young Fat and John Woo. Uh, as this, it was one of one of the really most violent, uh, you know, really cool violence uh, that that influenced everybody. I'm oh, certainly, yeah, for sure. Certainly, yeah. Parents, you know, and everybody else. But uh, yeah, I remember seeing yeah. uh, True Romance when it first came out, and it was it was um, and and knowing like one of the cool things with Cameron is you could tell because at that point you could only see John Woo films if you went to like Chinatown and rented these terrible VHSs. And yeah. I was like, yeah, Cameron's watching because he had the whole like. There's a scene where Schwarzenegger is sliding out a hill, firing two guns at the same time. And that's true lies, not true romance. True lies, true lies. I apologize. I apologize. I'm the movie guy here. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> not, not many people saw True Romance when it came out for some reason. Uh, I, I don't true. know why. I love I love that movie. Uh, yeah, it's my favorite Tony reasons, Scott. That's one of the reasons why I suggested you know when. when uh, you know, for for a minute there, I was Tony Soprano. You know, and, and I'm going into the read, and I see Jimmy Jimmy Gandolfini in the in the waiting room, and I had just seen through Romance you know, and 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 Get Shorty, I think by then, and I said, he's the guy who should be playing Tony Soprano. You know, yeah, this is by like, the way one of the many amazing stories in the book where you kind of want to grab the narrator and go, "What are you doing?" <laughs> are you? I mean, right choice. No, if I, he was the perfect these, choice. These, but. these are not these are not stories. These are revelations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is this is how yeah, how but, not to have a hugely successful career as an actor. Uh, exactly. Um, you go in and you say, funny, you know, I, this guy'd be better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough. <laughs> I mean, yeah, was I wrong? No. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I mean, uh, you, you don't get a lot of that, huh, Joe? No. Not too often. As a director, no? uh, you know the one. It's a little, it's a little touchy. The one that always knocked me out too was Robert Culp. Um, they were building. You know, he was an up and coming TV actor. He'd done a ton of stuff, and the network was going to do this spy show with him. And he said, "I will do it. You have to give me a friend. He can't be my underling. It's going to be a two hander. He's got to be black, and I want Cosby." And you're like, what kind of? He was going to be the star of a network show, and he said, "Great, put a black guy on it with me." At a time when that was not going to increase your ratings and and it never happened before and i'm telling yeah. you right now completely influenced my relationship with with with, with race mm. absolutely uh defined my my understanding of 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 uh of, of racial uh of, you know friendship i mean uh, yeah, sure. i love i love i love that show and uh and uh you know and, and and Cosby was actually the smarter one. Actually, yeah. he was pretending to be his trainer. Yes. You know, it. Um, and he was actually a Rhodes Scholar or whatever. You know, and uh, but you know that was an extremely important uh, movie for me. But uh, yeah. and I definitely, if folks haven't seen it. It's like to me, it's one of the best arguments for like hate the jerk but love the work. Watch well, I Spy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I talk about it all the time, man. Separate the art from the artist. You got to do it. You yeah. Although I mean, you know, most artists throughout history, let's be fair, have been really, really good people. So it's just this occasional knowledge. I, 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 I disagree. I disagree. I mean, I'm joking. Need, <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm Hitler, Hitler, <laughs> Hitler was a fair painter, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> Being an artist myself, I can guarantee you most of us are assholes. Okay, let me let me let me, let me explain that right now. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so so the killer was a was a killer. I mean, the the, the violence was fantastic, and uh, I tell you, uh, this, uh, let me let me just segue into um, into into point blank. Walker is an emotional and primitive man. Do you remember when we met? Suddenly, we were together. Lee Marvin is Walker, the hunter and the hunted. Literally, the first, I, I felt uh, the first real violence I ever saw on a screen was, was in Point Blank. Uh, uh, it was not a big movie, and very very few people saw it. Uh, and it's just it's one of those real existential, you know, what I call the existential, you know, it's not not really noir, you know, but it's it's more an existential. You know, here's a guy, uh, single-minded, you know, the guy owes him money, and he's going to get that money, and 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 that's it. That's the whole story, you know. <laughs> that's the that's the premise. I mean, here's John Borman, who the only other movie he had done was a Dave Clark Five movie. That's right. Yes. You know, yeah. You know, Wild Weekend. And interestingly enough, uh, I think the producer, who I think was Erwin Winkler, the only movie he had done was an Elvis Presley movie before that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I might, I might be remembering this wrong, but I think it was a Double Trouble, one of the, you know, not even a significant Elvis Presley movie. Uh, so they both are coming from, you know, doing rock and roll movies yeah. and make this incredible, incredible thing. Uh, one of my, one of the greatest movies ever made, I think. And I like this lovely Marvin. I think it's his best movie. And, uh, and, but I, I it, it, it looked like real violence. I, mean, I never saw violence like that in a movie, you know, I mean, he, he punches this guy in a crotch. I mean, it's an unbelievable <laughs> scene, you know, uh, it, it looked, you know, the guy walks through the door, he smashes him in the face. I mean, it really was like incredible, really realistic, you know? And uh, I just, I love that. And uh, I always couple, I, I, I couple a point blank with, uh, with performance, even though performance, performance was a couple years later. Warner Brothers presents performance with Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger, James Fox and James Fox. This is a film about madness. No soap on the gentleman's collar. Madness and sanity. Uh, uh, you know, they're the only two movies that I, that I really remember. Uh, playing around with with time, um, uh, you know, sh foreshadowing what was coming. You, you know, you know, mm -hmm. you, you see a lot of movies where you, you know where there's a where there's a uh, you know uh, going back in time. Flashback, you know, flashback. Thank you. You know, but you very but you not not very often see something you know flash forward. Right. You know, and 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 Point Blank has that has that thing going on. It's just really, really, really artistic, considering, you know, it's the guy's second movie and, 
and and Lee Marvin had faith in this guy, and 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 I think Lee Marvin had a big part in, in that in that script. Uh, I think he was. I think he had a very big creative role in that movie that goes uncredited. You know, I think they worked it out together, and because uh, Lee Marvin kept telling him, "I want less, less, less." You know, take 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 those lines away. Take those lines away. He didn't want to say anything. <laughs> you know, he just wanted to go to the movie and not say a word. You know, and he practically does. And it's yeah. amazing. He's amazing. But the the story with um, the story with performance though uh, was was different because you know they uh, you know Donald Kamel uh, was a little crazy and, and he makes this movie with Nicholas Frog who would then end up becoming a, a you know semi famous director himself uh, Donald Kamel I think killed himself soon after but uh, as a genius. decades after I have a story I'll tell you after but uh, uh, good good yeah, yeah I forget so anyway um so they 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 turn in the movie that before you know they think the the studio thinks they're making a Mick Jagger movie and 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 instead they make this really really cool gangster movie which is extremely influential I mean the, you know uh Guy Ritchie you know I don't think would exist without it um yeah, was that is that Joe? Was that like the first? Because it seemed like, and it certainly seems culturally correct, I guess. But that was kind of this this at the time, and you know, as a kid, I'm watching it. The the introduction, like, of of the gay British gangster. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's it's modeled on the craze, and and uh, right. it was rated X, which is you know was severely limited the places that it could play. Um, yeah, and, yeah, that's right. That's right. And well, we hadn't seen the Cray movies yet, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, both of which I think happened. Yeah, we had great. no idea who they were at that point. Yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah. so you know, that was the. But yeah, I think it, that was the introduction of that. You know, that very thin line between extremely macho and gay. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and that whole thing, and it just at first, you know, the whole first half of the movie was just one of the great gangster movies of all time, I think. But but. But so they turned it in, and of course Mick Jagger doesn't come in till you know till halfway through the movie, and they were like, "What are you crazy? You know, we, we, we want a Mick Jagger movie." So supposedly they go back and they just start you know throwing scenes in from later in the movie just to get Mick Jagger in. Oh, that's right, because yeah, you see him, don't you, early on? Him spray painting the wall, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know and. Which turned out to be just a really, really cool artistic thing to do. You know, right. it, it, it just you know, and those are the only two movies I can think of where that really happens. You know, you guys may know may, may know more, but um, I think one of, one of the French New Wave guys also may have done it. But um, you know, it, it's it's an unusual thing to, to show scenes that haven't happened yet. You know, yeah. in the future. You know, and, and uh, it was just it's just artistically so interesting to me and and uh, compelling. Those are the only two, you know, so those two movies I, I kind of pair together. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a it's a great, it's a great pair because they're both, um, as you say, you know, they could have been just sort of genre films, which there's literally nothing wrong with that, but they both bring this kind of art house sensibility into into the genre and and shake everything up, which um yeah. you know, now yeah. now it's common, but it was like I think it was like years, and then Walter Hill, of course, did the driver, which had a kind of similar Kind of thing but that, a, that was a, lot, a lot of people have, uh, have uh, come up with a theory that uh, in point blank that it, the action is entirely uh in his mind and that mm -hmm. it's and it happens the mo at the moment of his death which is an interesting interpretation so you mean the, the whole movie's in his mind yeah. i mean he, he never he never leaves alcatraz you say yeah that's 
Oh, wow. That's one interpretation. That's depressing. <laughs> I guess, you know, well, you, you could look at it that way if you really want to be boring about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aren't all movies happening in somebody's head somewhere? The, and then what did, as a, uh, as a, uh, a guy, a guy who's, who dabbles in rock and roll, let's say, um, I mean, memo from Turner. Fantastic. First of all, the entire soundtrack is incredible. Uh, Jack Nietzsche did it, you know, uh, for those uh, of your viewers here, uh, Jack Nietzsche uh, got famous as Phil Spector's arranger. Um, and then he began and he went on to become a producer. He went on, he, he went on to become a great producer himself. And, uh, and, and, he, and he, did this, he did this soundtrack and uh, it opens up with a great uh, Randy Newman uh, song, Gone Dead Train. You know, the opening song is fantastic. Uh, introduced uh, the last poets to the world, including me. Mm. I never heard of the last poet. Oh wow! I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that extremely important. Uh, you know, really the first rappers, along with Kill Scott Heron, uh, really um, were the among the first. Uh, you know, the, the artists that led to the whole hip hop world. Yeah. Uh, um, and and they have a classic song on on the soundtrack and uh, crazy synthesizer early synthesizer stuff and uh really really cool soundtrack but yeah uh memo from turner uh, it's the classic track uh ryan yeah, cooter so so playing good. guitar you know ryan cooter was for me the greatest uh, slide guitar player and that's ever lived and uh so you know i got ryan cooter on there and uh it's just really cool yeah memo, memo from turner is sort of like first rock video Oh, well, yeah, I guess you could look at it like that, you know? I mean, uh, I kind of think of the Richard Lester stuff, you know, with the, you know, Hard Day's Night and Help, you know? I guess it's, a, but it's, those are, you could look at it that it's way. interesting, I'm thinking about that, because like, those are, those are kind of, okay, now we're going to sit down and play a song, and there was stuff like, but Turner's this kind of, it's a conceptual video more than, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the character sitting down and just playing a song, and all of a sudden you're into this, weird scripted yeah. it's uh but that but that was you know the beatles go you know in the back of the train you know and they're in, they're yeah. in the cave there with with you yeah, know yeah. the old man and they're playing cards and then they're playing and they're singing and, and then all of a sudden they have instruments there was a surreal element that richard yeah. lesser threw in that film you know the the the, the, the train's moving and the, and then the, the guy that's bugging them you know they go outside the train and they're dancing by outside the train I mean, somehow magically. what a wild move that was right i mean yeah, yeah. but anyway yeah yeah so i i see what you mean now it could have been yeah, or an early was. one but yeah. also nietzsche did so many great i mean i'm a huge fan of paul schrader's blue collar and that incredible captain beefheart yeah. song that opens it that he did and then yeah, the one yeah. I'm constantly astounded. I've turned so many, I am not a jazz guy. I've turned so many serious jazz guys onto this record that they've never heard of. Do you know about the hotspot, the soundtrack to the hotspot? No, I don't think so. The Dennis Hopper film from like what year, Joe? Like 90s, right? Yeah. When he was I'm I'm Steve, just buy it now. Our listeners buy it now. I can't remember if I plug it. It's it's here's the soundtrack. Uh who's was on it? John Lee Hooker, Miles Davis, Taj Mahal, uh, Jack Nietzsche. 
and you can't <laughs> believe what you're hearing. It's you know how sometimes that might end up being terrible because it's no, it's exactly what you want it to be. It's so good. I don't, know. So I don't think I've even heard of that movie. It's a uh, Don Johnson erotic thriller from the nineties. I don't, think it, I don't by, think it was released theatrically. Yeah, it was. I, I believe I saw it at theater. I will never. Really? There's a scene in there I will never forget seeing it on a big screen. And, and uh, um, oh, that's yeah, it's pretty obscure. I got no, I got. I got check out the whole movie. That's uh, that's wild. Dennis Hopper uh, directed it. Uh, Dennis Hopper directed it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And got got that group together in the score, and it's just spare and and dusty and bluesy and jazzy and. It's it's so good. It's so good. Um, oh. And then Donald Kamel, I got it because this was have I, I don't think I've ever told Joe this story. My very first script that I sold that was going to get made was in the 90s. It's a terrible movie. We don't have to talk about it. But it was that day it was announced in the trades uh, it was also the day that Donald Kamel killed himself um, in like the nine mid 90s. And at first, it seems to be much more complicated than this. But the story that had emerged was that he committed suicide because the production company that made his movie had botched it up so much. They take it away from him and chopped it up so much. He killed himself. And the reason I will never forget that is it was the same company that had bought my script. <laughs> that was white of the eye, right? No, no, no. That was wild side with wild side. Uh, Christopher Walken and Joan Chen and uh, Anne Heche. <laughs> it's a, and his kind of thing finally came out and it's a bonkers movie. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah, it's a weird thing. You're like, hey, I find I'm in the trades. These guys, what, what's this other story? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize, I, I, thought he was, I thought he died a lot sooner than that. Oh, Mid-90s, huh? Yeah, yeah, he did several films. Including, yeah, 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 White of the Eye, which is great. His career died earlier than he did. Yeah. Yes. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Um, but yeah, can we go from can we go from uh, from Mick to uh, and and Hard Day's Night to the other? So nobody's ever mentioned this one before, and this is literally my first memory as a human being on Earth. Uh, I was a child. My parents would take me to the drive-in. Remember the the behind the back seat of a Volkswagen? Uh, they called it the bathtub. I don't know what it was. It was covered in horse hair, really uncomfortable. And they would go to the drive-in and just plunk the baby back in there who was supposed to be asleep. And I literally remember my first image that I remember is is the Beatles skiing. Wow, because yeah, I remember seeing it years later, going, "That's the movie." But you, you, you wanted to talk about help, but I'm like, no one ever talks about help. The ring. She's not wearing the sacrificial ring. Where is the ring? Search her. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. Yeah, this is the famous Beatles. When I was young, so much younger than today. 
need protection. Give me protection. What's this? A season ticket. Oh, like a lot of season enemy suit. With a ring like that, I could, dare I say it, rule the world. Again, they never show it. Nobody shows it. Uh, I love it. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's some, you know, politically incorrect these days. Who knows? You know, but I mean, you know, this is <laughs> not not something I <laughs> I care about very much. But but uh, you know, it, it's just one. It's just fantastic. I mean, first of all, one of my favorite albums of theirs. Uh, oh God. I think it's their, I think I think I think it's their best seven songs in a row, actually, on any album. Uh, is the help album, um, and uh, you know the fact that they're writing these things in a matter of weeks is just horrifying. You know, uh, same thing with Hard Day's Night. You know, they write they they, they wrote all those songs in two three weeks. You know, yeah, uh, ridiculous, ridiculous. I mean, the quality is just beyond belief. Um, and I just love the whole Indian thing. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the whole Indian thing, and. Uh, if it wasn't for that movie, uh, George Harrison would not have gotten into that whole Indian thing. That's right. And, That's uh, right. you know, it's a very different world, man. You know, I, I think uh, for me, you know, uh, Within You Without You was a centerpiece of the Sgt. Pepper album, which is a centerpiece of A Summer of Love, which is a centerpiece of the entire uh, <laughs> hippie world, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know? So, I mean, it was extremely important historically, you know, on top of everything else. But... I just think it's hilarious and, and fun and uh you know I, I just i just love the movie yeah why joe it was not i mean i mean, you can see him you watch him back to back and you can go like if one of these is going to be the movie that people talk about to the end of time it's it's going to be hard day's night but help is not i feel like it gets short shrift and it's it's pretty well it's it's short shrift because it doesn't have much of a plot you know well, please explain it, the it, plot of hard day's night to me <laughs> That's that's the point. I'm sitting here. Just go. What's the no, second but act? But, but it doesn't. Hard Day's Night doesn't pretend to have a plot. However, uh, help does, and you have to pay attention. Who, who's the who is Leo McKern playing? Who is this guy a villain? Is, you know, it's it's not it's not as interesting as it's it's like Top Secret and Airplane. You know, Airplane is a funny movie that works because it's based on actual real right. movie that worked. Then they did Top Secret, and they did. The same jokes, some of them better. I but in the meantime, story. there was no story to link it together. It was just a sort of bunch of stuff that they threw together so they right. would have an excuse to do the jokes. And that's kind of the way help appears to me. Yeah, but I, I can oh God. I don't know. I, I disagree. I mean, the, the plot, they're going after the ring. They need the ring for the, you know, for the sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's a plot. It's a premise, you know. It's enough. It's yeah. a premise. I, it's I a can premise, work with that. a plot. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I mean, I, I just love the fact that they literally, you know, they're there, you know, in the Alps skiing, you know, freezing their asses off. And the next day they go to Richard Lester saying, listen, we've had enough of this. Write something in about the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what they did. They yep. were like literally making it up as they went along, you know, and, and they were all stoned out of their gourds the entire time, you know, and, uh, you know. It's just, I just love everything about it. You know, the whole uh, Scotland Yard guy, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the jokes. I, I, I just love everything about it, honestly. I, I, love, I love everything about it, you know. Did, did you, great. I imagine you saw it, you saw it in theaters when it first came out, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was the same. It's still there. The Count Basie Theater used to be, you know, that, that was our theater. 
formerly right the Carlton. Back in, back in huh? Is that the is that the Carlton? Yes, yes. The that's Carlton where you theater. that's where you saw a lot of those. A lot of everything. Those I saw there. you know uh, Nutty Professor and Bye Bye Birdie and uh, uh, you know Hard Day's Night. I was there and, and watched the girls rush the screen. I mean they, they you know <laughs> they, they just sit in the balcony and you know Hard Day's Night came on and, and girls got up and, and rushed the screen and like attacked the screen. I mean, uh, it was amazing, you know? But that was you know, a couple of miles from my house too, you know, quite a ways away. I, I worked with a woman, she was a production coordinator uh, back in the, the 90s named Shalane, who was um, uh, Indian, British Indian woman. And she is actually, and every time I watch Hard Days, it makes me so happy. She's one of the screaming girls in the film at the end. And she has like one shot. You're like, there she is. There she is. <laughs> it helps that everybody else in the movie is white. So you can like always spot her, but uh, just <laughs> losing her mind, you know, which, um, I, I, that's gotta be a great thing for a Beatle fan. Although I, you've, you've had, uh, did you, you, you did something with uh, one of the actors in help. I seem to recall. I did. Yes. Yes. I'm, yes. This is for you to plug, go plug yourself. Come on. Come on. You've got a video. Oh, oh. <laughs> Right, right, right. I also have a, a new DVD out. I forgot. That's right. And, and uh, actually, was he in this one or the last one? I forget. I, forget. I, I put out two, two. Um, I did two tours in a row these last three years. You know, before the quarantine and uh, the one right. Yeah, it was with the Soul Fire one, and then you put out uh, from Mac to Mac from the first. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah so. Um, I yeah, think the so first was, guest we ever had, Joe, who's played with Paul McCartney. I'm pretty sure that. I think that's a fair, <laughs> a fair bet. Well, I mean, it was it was a wild 24 hours because I, 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 you know, I think I said it in the book. Um, the night before, I'm filming The Irishman with Marty Scorsese, you know, which was a big, you know, a, a big fulfillment of, of my, you know, I always wanted to do a movie with him and. Uh, and I, and I happened to buy that book uh, before uh, he, he had it. You know, I, I think Bobby De Niro may have actually bought the book, but I didn't, but I didn't know that. And I, you know, I just read every mob book. I just, it's one of my hobbies, which ended up paying off. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, but, I, you know, I, I got the book right away and I just love the book. You know, it's called uh, I Heard You Paint Houses. Yeah. And it's one of those. You know, I don't care if it's true or not, you know, who cares, you know, uh, but, but it's just written really, you know, in a really cool way. And, uh, and I said, you know, if I'm ever going to be in one movie, I, I want it to be this, you know, and so uh, I ended up doing a little cameo uh, in it, you know, I'm only in it for four seconds, but it's okay. It was, it was a fantastic experience. And so, uh, and, I, and I almost didn't get a chance to do it because it was a, it was a, I had to fly the next day to to London to start my tour, and um, and I only had you know there was a day in between. But then um, the smoke, it was, it was you know that big scene um, in, in uh, supposed to be uh, I think the Cherry Hill. Um, it's like a it's like a it's like a big um, it's like a big room. It's a big room, and, and everybody's in it. You know, Daniel's there, and and, and Harvey and and Pacino. And uh, and they and they like put smoke in, you know, as you guys know, uh, they put smoke in for the for the lights. And and Marty, you know, has this uh, real serious asthma, you know, reaction to this stuff. And so um, halfway through, you know, he had to leave. I'm like, oh man, um, you know, I'm gonna blow my my chances here. You know, I'm waiting my whole life to be in a movie with Marty, and he's in the hospital. <laughs> you know. Uh, 
And I talked to the first AD and then I said, listen, man, you got to do me a favor. You know, schedule this scene for first thing tomorrow because I got to get on the plane, you know. And, uh, you know, they did that, which was nice, you know. So and I, I so then I, I get, you know, I fly the next day. We, we come back, we, we do the scene. And and, uh, and then I, I take off for London. And, you know, and because of the flight, I get to sound check very late on that first date. And it's like five minutes left in the sound check, you know. And I get a call, you know, Paul McCartney might be coming to the show. I'm like, oh, my God, just in case, just in case. I mean, we got to prepare something. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think he's going to want to come on, but but just in case. And I mean, literally one time through, I threw a little, a little Richard arrangement onto uh, as far as standing there in one of Paul's early songs. And I knew he liked Little Richard because if it wasn't for Paul McCartney, I never would have heard of Little Richard, you know, uh, and the Beatles. I never would have heard of him. You know, I never would have heard of Chuck Berry. I you know none of those guys. You know, Damn. why would I? Why would I, why, why would I have heard of them? You know, uh, you know, and sure enough, uh, you know, he does show up and, uh, you know, anyway, the story's in the book, but, 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 but he, he comes on stage and then he God, gets on stage with you. Thank God, you know, we, we remembered the song enough to play it. And uh, it was really exciting. This, this poor video guy I had on the road with me, you know, he only, he only had him and a friend. He only had two cameras. You know, and suddenly Paul McCartney's on stage. I'm like, don't fuck this up. Because, <laughs> you know, you're only, only going to get one chance at this, man. You know? And, uh, you know, he managed, he managed to capture it. It's, it's a fantastic moment, and you you can tell you're having a great time. It's uh, no one no one can yeah, be I mean, talk, uh, <laughs> I mean that, that's beyond that, that's beyond your dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, you might dream of being in a Scorsese movie, maybe you know, but uh, you know, I thought that I thought that would be the greatest thrill of my life, and then it was it was surpassed. You know, 24 hours later, you know, uh, you know, here he is. I mean, you know, and you gotta you gotta really. You got to really compartmentalize it in those moments. You know, you really, you know, you got to, you know, he's just a friend. He's just a musician friend, you know, having some fun, you know, because uh, if you really start thinking about it, you know, you're going <laughs> to, you're just going to, you're going to pass out. But uh, it was, it was, it was really wonderful. And he, he's just such a great guy. I mean, he, he uh, you know, he said, use it, use it any way you want to use it. You know, don't, don't even think twice about it. Uh, Use it on the album, you know, put it out as a single, whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, just really, really, really very, very generous. I love what you said too about Little Richard, because you know, I think things have changed so much with the internet and everything. But as a kid, um, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia and um uh Darkness in the Age of Town was an album that just sort of changed my life. And just really, and it was the first concert I ever saw was you guys that summer playing with Gary Busey. Oh. Um, and I don't, I think I probably heard of Buddy Holly, you know, but it was sort of through that, 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 that thing where a band you get into, 
it sort of teaches you about their influences and you learn about them. You know, I would never have known who Roy back in the day, you would not have known who Roy Orbison was if you were my age, if it weren't for bands kind of talking about these guys or Bruce's kids yeah. singing about them. And uh, it was amazing. But yeah, that concert, they brought up uh, Busey who had done Buddy Holly's story that summer and they, they brought him out and I think it was great. They did rave on. And I'm sitting there, a little, little kid me, and I'm like, you know, we're like three hours of this amazing show. And it's my first rock concert. And I'm like, wow, these rock concert things are great. I can't wait to go to more. And of course, <laughs> the, next, the next 10, you just fucking ruined for me. I'm, I'm sure they were great, Stevie, but <laughs> 90 minutes of... <laughs> we were particularly good in those days, yes. Uh, I, must, I must admit, I must admit. That was really, that was really the first tour... You know, you kind of felt like a rock star. You know, like it was like like that was the first tour that we did, where we thought, "Wow, we might we, we're kind of we're kind of doing okay." You know, <laughs> we we might actually make it. You know, I mean, it took that long, and we, and we hadn't made it yet, by the way. You know, but it was but it was in sight. You know, what I mean, it was like right. you know, you know, I could kind of. Uh, you know, I better start getting my, you know, my thing together, you know, and I, you know, I started, like, I introduced that, that full length, you know, duster, you know, coat. Yes. You know, because I'd never seen anybody do that before. And uh, I just seen some Western, you know, I forget which one, but, uh, you know, once upon a time in America, one of them. But, uh, which, by the way, brings I, mean, I, I had to check once upon a time in the West. Yeah. I had to ask Joe because I didn't want to say this um, and then have everybody in the world think I'm an idiot. But you made an observation about Ennio Morricone, and and I, I emailed Joe. I was like, "Am I the last person on the planet to to know about this, or is this actually?" And Joe didn't know the human encyclopedia here. But uh, Stevie, you you point out that the good, the bad, and the ugly theme owes everything. You want to tell them to who? Because this was such, it was one of those observations that's so simple and so obvious. You're like, how come no one said this before? But you want to. But to the Tarzan? Yeah, to Johnny Weissmuller. <laughs> so we'll play it right here so people can hear. But. Yeah, that was amazing. That was eye-opening. I was like, this, this is why you want to talk to musicians about things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a similar thing, a similar revelation with uh, Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin. Uh, uh, what's it called? The Immigrant Song? Uh, uh -huh. uh, you know, from, uh, from South Pacific. The riff, the riff is from South Pacific. Uh, <laughs> Valley high, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the immigrant song. Yeah, he got that from Valley High. So, you, know, you know, we you know, we steal things. I mean, you're only as cool as who you steal from. Let's face it. Well, and then, and then there's those unintended. I mean, I you know, come on. Does Sometimes you don't believe... even know you're stealing. Exactly. You know, does anybody believe George head. Harrison stole? Uh, what was it for my? Here comes the sun. He's so fine. He's so fine. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was that was unconscious. Yeah, that was probably unconscious. Yeah, it had but, but but you know, but it was identical. It was you know. 
Um, and then also, because you were talking about Pacino, I have to wonder, because you were in a room with him and I'm sure you've met him. Have, have, has he ever said anything to you or have you ever performed that scene for him? <laughs> God forbid. No, no, no. I was hoping he, he hadn't seen it. Uh, so as far as I know, he, 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 he never connected me to it anyway. Because we were literally, we're, we're, uh, we got friends visiting, a friend of mine and her 17-year-old son who just finished watching for the first time in the pandemic, The Sopranos. And he was talking about, he just, he loved it. He was like, does TV get any better than this? I'm like, I don't know if it does. And he did that <laughs> scene. We'll excerpt it here too, for anyone who has no idea what I'm talking about. So, cheer me up, babe. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Zappuccino, <laughs> <laughs> Zappuccino. Fucking spitting at me. And I realized this kid did not realize that you're doing, he's doing you. He doesn't realize he's doing you doing Pacino. You know, those, those things are always fun because, you know, you know at first, you know, uh, it was David Chase's idea. And so, of course, I, you know, I go home and I, you know, I study it and I, and I get it exactly right. And, and I realize, you know, if I do it exactly right, it, yeah. it's not very funny. It's not that funny, you know. So, so I, I got to do like an exaggerated, <laughs> you know, I got to exaggerate it like, like, like this guy would do, you know, like, you know, like in other words, I got to do a bad impersonation, right. in order for, you know, to really for it to work, you know, because, you know, if you just do the real thing, sometimes it's just not, you know, it doesn't really work. <laughs> and with Pacino, sometimes it's so hard to, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's almost, it's almost impossible to impersonate him. And uh, I think, cause he's so. I don't know. We just watched Heat recently, and my wife just died laughing when he gets to that great line. Uh, you know, what is it? She got a great ass. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can see he was about to. He was about to say something else. You can yeah. see that, right? No. What? What? Did you notice that? No. I'll have to go back oh, and look. What? I I think in that scene he's about to say because he has a, a big ass. I think that's what he's about to say. But look at it. Look at it again. He has a. You know, he starts to say big. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's hilarious. It's a great. I'm pretty sure, you know, because the first time I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, there's that, something about that line that looks a little bit impro improvised. But I, I, I love that movie. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies, despite a terrible ending. Oh, my God, a terrible ending. Of, Plus, uh, Michael, okay. using, my, Michael Mann using my name as the bad guy, you know. I got to get even with him someday. <laughs> Oh, there. maybe this is a bad time then to segue into Thief. Are you clear? You've been putting down two, three scores a month. You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. Geisty lice. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I'm a thief. Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? So we start. So we. I start my my solo records, and and um, MTV just started. And I see and I see thief. Okay, which I just went crazy over. Okay, I just thought this is one of the greatest movies of all time. And I like who who made this? You know, this guy Michael Mann. Never heard of him. Talk to record company. Uh, he's in Florida. Go see him. I go to see him. I said, listen, man, I want you to do my first video. 
And he says, I'm, I'm busy doing this TV show right now. I'd love to do it, but I'm doing this, you know, turn out to be Miami Vice, you know. And, uh, you know, so he, 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 didn't, he didn't get a chance to do it, uh, which was really a shame, really a shame. Yeah, my, my whole career might have been different, you know. <laughs> I might have actually had a career. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, you're, you're hurting there, buddy. Um. I, it's, 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 it, <laughs> After you read this book, you got to agree it's a weird career. You know, but for anyway. sure. But you know, <laughs> but, but anyway, so I, you know, I, I I was I discovered him very early because of that, and, and got a chance to meet him, and uh, he's been one of my favorite directors ever since. But oh, I hate the ending of Heat. Oh, <laughs> how, how can you kill Bobby De Niro? What's the matter with you? It's a, it's, a, it's a mistake. It was a mistake. I'm telling you, I said, you know. <laughs> I think the entire movie just takes place in his brain as he's dying in uh, an airport. I, <laughs> I see a lot of movies where like the endings are not good. I tell you, you know, I, I should uh, I should start a company, you know. <laughs> or you, you fix, can't fix the endings. You can't think of an ending. Give me a call, you know. That's great. The uh, I also I got it as you're saying it. I'm like, how of all the people? I mean, uh, somebody did a recent thread on Twitter where they sort of all the amazing cameos and guest stars who had been on Miami Vice, you know, incredible. I'm going through it. I'm suddenly realizing like, how, where were you? Why are <laughs> you going to just and, walk and, straight and, from your, you know, your house to that set and fit in perfectly. And what a jerk I was for not being one of them. You know, I should have been one of them. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the first, I was the first rock guy to meet him probably, you know, yeah. that, that, Sonny that, Crockett that, should yeah. have shot you in the first season. I will say that. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the first, that's one of the few movies I think on my list that I really was not from my youth. I should, I should, I kind of cheated with that one. But, but, um, you know, I, the first time I heard Tangerine Dream, which very, very early, uh, electronic, uh, music, you know, mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe, maybe Kraftwerk was earlier, maybe, but they were one of the, they were first or second, like the first you know, ones doing that. And that soundtrack was incredible, you know, unreal. Yeah. Uh, and then Michael Mann told me he's, he tuned it, you know, it's a certain way. Uh, and and uh, he told me how he shot that movie. Um, he shot it all in low angles, you know, because he wanted it to look like they were, you know, trapped like rats, you know, throughout the whole movie. So, so if you look at it, you know, except for a couple of shots when you're looking down from the rooftops, uh, but you know, a lot of a lot of the, the car stuff and it's all very very you know very low you know kind of low angles and. Uh, and, you know, that, I don't know. That's that was the first movie I saw. I think there's one. There's one. There's another. There's another um, new wave movie. It might have been Melville's uh, Cirque Rouge, hmm. where they had like a half an hour heist. Remember that, mm -hmm. Joe? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, but but I hadn't seen that yet. So this this was the this was the longest stretch I'd ever seen with no dialogue. You know, ever. You know, that, well then, yeah, and then before that, there was uh, Rafifi, which is um, Jules Dass, an American director, but working in France. And um, it's a Joel Robbery. Yeah, it's a Joel Robbery, and it's silent for what, like 25, 30 minutes. It's amazing, yeah. and I have stolen it in so many scripts because um, <laughs> he just doesn't like writing dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but yeah, I'll tell you something. If, if the dialogue fills a page quickly. You've got to write, you know, twenty minutes of action, man. That's that's work. Um, but. Uh, yeah, no, it's great stuff. Uh, should we talk about a, um, uh, I, I don't want to say friend of mine, a gentleman I've had the honor of meeting a few times, but a Joe Call's friend. Um, let's talk about Roger Corman and Wild Angels. Oh, man. 
They're wild and no angels. Law-defied, getting their kicks from violence and torture. The Wild Angels, starring Peter Fonda and Nancy Sinatra. In the Angel Gang, if you're one man's woman, you're his old lady. Roger Corman, I, I still want to do a, I still want to do a Roger Corman Film Festival here in New York. I, 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 while he's still with us, um, and I, I, and I've been wanting to do it for twenty years. Uh, oh, talk to Joe, right? Yeah, we were trying to get, we were trying to get a movie about him off the ground for almost a long at the same time. Joe, Joe came up with Under Corman. Yeah, everybody did, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, uh, I love the Wild Angels. I just, I loved everything about it, uh, starting with the, the theme song, Davy Allen and the Arrows. Uh, you know, the classic theme song, uh, which I think I think Mike Curb actually wrote. Yes, I think so. Uh, right. Yeah. And I think and, and I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, you may know this better than me, but I believe uh, Peter Bogdanovich uh, did a lot of things on that movie. That Peter was uh, Peter was uh, polished the script um, right. and uh, did a lot of second unit, a lot of the shots right. of, uh, you know, motorcycles and, uh, you know, going into different gears and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and, 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 <laughs> and, and then Peter gets beat up at the end of the movie. He's one of the guys who gets beat up at the end in the, in the, in the graveyard. Oh, you didn't uh, mention that. <laughs> well, he, he, uh, they, they really beat him up. That's why he doesn't mention it. There were some real angels in there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, I just love Nancy Sinatra. I mean, uh, just, you know, just the whole thing is just so cool. You know, Bruce Stern. And, uh, you know, I had seen uh, the, the my, my, when I was very young in Boston, um, I was still, we, we moved when I was seven, so it must have been before I was seven. Um, my uncle, Sal, uh, either took me to the movies or, uh, let me see, you know, it, it would have had to have been by back then. When, when's the wild one, like 56 or something? Uh, 52 or 51. Was it that early? Yeah. Um, no, it's 54. So, it, I'm sorry, it was 54. But it wouldn't have been on TV yet, right? No, no, I don't think so. No, no. So he must have went to the movies because he bought, he bought me a, a, a motorcycle jacket. Uh, and I'm like, you know, five years old. So he, he found some kind of motorcycle jacket and, uh, and connected me to the wild one, right? You know, when I was really, really young. Uh, but, but the wild angels was another, another, uh, I like that whole, I like that whole biker subgenre, you know? I wanted to bring it back when I when I first started my record company. I, I thought, you know, let's start the record company, and then we're going to move right into B movies. I want I wanted to bring back B movies, you know, all of those Roger Corman type movies, and you know, do start bring back beach movies and put my bands on the beach, and you know, ah. uh, you know, bring back biker movies, and then I wanted to bring all that stuff back, you know, and then uh, and Robert Rodriguez, you know, uh, you know, he's kind of he's kind of doing that, you know, but. Uh, yeah, I just love I just love that whole I love that all of that teenage teenage those you know subgenres you know yeah the beach the beach movies the bike movies you know I love all that stuff you know the crazy sci-fi you know whatever you know it's great crazy it's stuff glorious. well you got to do that Corman fest um, yeah you know I mean uh, he must be ninety by now how old is he yes he's in the nineties yeah yeah I got you know one of them things to try and do while he's still with us, you know? 
he was one of our last guests before we uh, hit the pandemic and then came uh, we got to we had to go to his office oh, and do wow. it it was it was a blast yeah i mean joe's like you know this guy's worked with forever i'm going it's roger, roger gorman <laughs> but, i love it i love it love it Fantastic. You also um, work with my you, you also work with my friend Chris Columbus, didn't you, Joe? Oh yeah, he, oh, he yeah. wrote he wrote uh, Gremlins. It was his first right. big hit. That's right, right. Yeah, I love Chris. Uh, he really he really uh, solved a big problem for me because I I had talked Darlene Love into moving from LA to New York, and then I was like, uh, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to do with her because. You know, record companies were not interested, and uh, you know, radio is not gonna is not is not easy to to get anymore. You know, and this was back in the eighties, and uh, and finally, um, you know, Chris called me to do a Christmas song for Home Alone Two, and I was like, oh, this is perfect, you know, perfect. So I was finally able to record Darling Love" thanks to Chris Columbus, and uh, big big that's a big part of my you know. A big part of my life, and a big, you know, very something I'm very proud of. Uh, went on to make her first album, yeah. uh, introducing Darlene Love, and uh, and I just and we just used her again in Chris's last um, Christmas Chronicles. Oh, yeah, Kurt Russell. With, uh, yeah, I, I wrote a, I wrote a duet for her and Kurt Russell. You know, which was great. You know? Who's the better singer? I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, Kurt is extremely humble about it because he's good. He's very good, you know, and uh, he's like, oh, I can't sing, you know. And I, and I bring in Darlene Love to sing with him. He says, oh, thanks a lot. You know, just just, <laughs> just get the greatest singer on earth, you know, that I have to do a duet with, you know. Am I nuts? Didn't didn't he do some of his own singing in the Elvis thing, Joe? Or is that? Or- that's what I said. That's what I, that's what I said to Kurt. You know, I believe he did, you know. I but, think he did, uh, but, but I think there's also a lot of covers. Yeah, he's a little sensitive about it, but he, but he's good, you know. I said, saying it doesn't have to be a great singer anyway, you know. Yeah, he's really, you know yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear Santa sound like Pavarotti, you know. I mean, you know. We, we love him anyway. <laughs> Santa can get away with a lot, you know. <laughs> that is true um well how about uh let's let's do van as long as we're going to go from motorcycles to cars and vanishing name kowalski occupation driver transporting a supercharged dodge challenger from denver to san francisco background medal of honor in vietnam former stock and bike racer former cop dishonorably discharged now he uses speed to get himself up to get himself gone. Oh man, I, I love it. You know, another another existential, huh? You know, uh, for me, uh, you know, it, it was, those years were such a Renaissance period. You know, I, I refer to it as a Renaissance period all the time, and I really mean it. You know, that that whole that whole period of fifties into the sixties into the seventies. You know, it was just an incredible Renaissance period for music and movies and and everything else, you know, but I mean, can you imagine something like that getting made today? You know, you can't, you can't imagine. Oh, you'd it. never, you'd never get away with that. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a crazy idea, first of all, you know, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's artistic for its, you know, for its own sake in, in a, in a way, you know, uh, 
And you could do that in those days. You could be artistic uh, and, and have crazy endings and, you know, and, and unconventional sort of plots and things. And uh, everything was just working, you know? Everything was working. And, and, uh, and Delaney and Bonnie are actually in it, you know? They do a little, right. they do a little scene in the middle of it for you know, no particular reason. Uh, which is great um you know and i always love that it's not you know it also reminds me of uh, uh what are you talking about the wild the wild one you know that that great line what are you rebelling against johnny what do you got it's like yeah, right. why why is he doing it why is he driving cross country you know it's just one of them things and then, you know and then the whole cleveland little uh yeah. dj you know you know kind of narrating the thing you know uh yeah it's just one of them crazy crazy things uh I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, again, you guys probably would know better than me, but I think Richard Serafian was, a, was an actor, really, wasn't he? He was, he, he was an actor. He's, in, he's very good and bound uh, with the, the, the um, Wachowski oh. picture. Um, oh. he's, he's a gangster in that one, and he's, he's, he's a good, he was a good actor. Good actor. Yeah, because I, I don't know if that was his first, it might have been his first thing he directed, I, I don't know, early on, right? Pretty early, yeah, yeah. Pretty early, you know, funny, you know? The actors make good directors, I think. I must say. I also love, is it, I, I have never heard a lot of people talk about it, but you know, I was a huge fan of the Limey. And, you know, they all talk about Peter Fonda and, you know, and, and oh. Terrence, Terrence Stamp playing on their sort of past. But there's that moment in the Limey where Barry Newman, who's playing the kind of part Barry Newman mostly played, you know, he's the lawyer. And remember this where Terrence Stamp gets in the car and takes off and Barry Newman hops in the car and they don't have to explain. It's like Barry Newman drives like a motherfucker. And you've just met the character. And it's just like the greatest thing. He gets in a car. And of course, he's a maniacally great driver. And I just, I love that moment in the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's such a great film. And also, I talk about unusual sort of time structure. Um, but let's, 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 let's bounce over to something else. Because I, I definitely wanted to, uh, a movie I've only seen as a kid because some of these were like movies. We've got one coming up that's like one of my all-time favorites. I'm just like, I just want to talk about that with Stevie. But this is one I saw as a kid. was completely mystified by. Um, but it's fascinating because it's from an era I love. There's kind of a, a 60s that never quite existed in movies. And I feel like What's New Pussycat is kind of one of those films. Love scene 2A, take four. Peter Sellers, Peter O'Toole, Capucine. Action. Oh! Hello! Good morning. Can't you knock? Knock? But I'm in dire need. So am I. What do you think I am, human? Bringing up at the next group analysis meeting. Something like that. Not. Not now. Cut, cut. Credit. Why didn't you come home last night? Leave me alone. I'm trying to work. Is she prettier than me? Is she prettier than you? I'm prettier than you. Oh. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I think it's, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's Woody Allen's first script. And uh, he wrote, he wrote, I think he wrote it for Warren Beatty, uh, the story goes. And again, you guys, you know, you guys live this stuff, I don't. But, but uh, he supposedly wrote it for Warren Beatty based on how Warren Beatty used to answer his phone, you know? And, and, um, and then, uh, you know, the, the script kept changing and, and Woody 
the part Woody Allen was going to play kept getting bigger, and, you know, <laughs> and the other guys until Warren Beatty told him to go fuck himself, you know, uh, and, and thank God he did, because I think that's, that's why Peter O'Toole ended up uh, doing it. Uh, and of course, Peter Sellers is hilarious in it. And uh, it's one of the two, the, one of the two Peter O'Toole classic comedies, along with my favorite year, which mm -hmm. was a, you know, a little bit later. So I didn't put it, I didn't put it in, on this list. But uh, you know, just just incredibly, uh, just classic, classic. Uh, you know, that was a Burt Bacharach score, and, and um, uh, that famous song, "The Little Red Book," which uh, Love had the first sing, you know, the first hit single. Hmm. The first that was, that was first appeared in, in What's the Pussycat with Paul Jones singing it, who was one of the greatest singers of all time, a, a singer from uh, Anford Man. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's singing, he's singing a, a version of a little red book, and uh, and then the love, you know, the group, the group Love did it and, and had a hit with it and uh, changed the chords actually in a cool way. And Bert Bacharach just hated it. He's like, you know, you changed my chords, you bastards, you know. But uh, they actually, I think they actually improved it, believe it or not, uh, in in a, in a way. I mean, it's just a different. It's just different. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say better, but it's different, you know. But uh, you know, Ursula Andress, you know, forget it. You know, my favorite Harry, Dr. Eck, uh piece of music is the uh, main titles of the Blob. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, oh, Steve Hi. McQueen, what, McQueen. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Oh man, Burt Bacharach and Steve McQueen, right? That's quite a combination. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor. Oh, speak completely out of subject and tell me if I should cut this and maybe I, I should. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, least of all me, but speaking of arrangements uh, that are better, I was a gigantic, gigantic. I absolutely, I know a lot of people were weirded out by Western stars. I absolutely loved it. But as a kid from Philadelphia who grew up in West Philly uh, around like a lot of RB and soul, I, I, I like your version of Tucson train better. <laughs> you know, it was one of those strange moments I'm on tour in Europe, you know, and, and, uh, and the record comes out, you know, and, and it was, it was different, you know, yeah. but, you know, but obviously it had its own, you know, greatness to it. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, Bruce Springsteen is not going to, you know, write a bad song at this point of his life. And, and I'm, and I'm doing lots of interviews, you know, like I always do. And, and, and for the first time in my life, every journalist I'm talking to is like putting this record down, you know, oh. we're like, what? we don't get it. We don't get it. You know, and, and and so first of all, I'm telling these people, you know, you've been a fan for 40 years. Uh, why don't you have a little faith? You know, maybe you'll get it next year. You know, art's funny that way. You know, you know, you may not get it today, but you know, have a little faith. You're going to get it next year. Okay. You know, first of all, but then I, I thought to myself, you know, you know, let me try and do something, you know, to kind of uh, bring some attention to it because it was really, 
shockingly, uh, you know, getting negative, a negative vibe about it, you know, which I really thought was unfair. So I had a kind of a fantasy vision of, you know, and, and I, and I really don't, don't mean to be literal about this, but uh, I had a fantasy about what Jimi Hendrix did for, for, for Bob Dylan's, uh, mm. John Wesley Harding, right? Right. You know, all on the watchtower. A, a, a record which, which people forget, but when that record came out, complete bomb. I mean, every, nobody, everybody ignored it completely. It really? was like, you know, Dylan is done. He's over. He's had it, you know? Uh, and then Jimi Hendrix says, all on the watchtower, you know? And suddenly it's like one of the coolest albums ever, you know? So I, I kind of, you know, I kind of had that little bit of a, a vision in my head, you know? Let me let me let me let me do a, a version of some of a song from it that people maybe can relate to a little bit easier in a, in a more conventional way, and then uh, maybe they'll go back and re rediscover the album, you know, or discover the album. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love the record, but it's just, it's like you turned it into like a soul song and it was just, you know, you got the hards and the backup singers and I'm just like, ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Oh, what a band. The greatest band ever, you know, one of the great bands ever assembled. I mean, believe me, I, I enjoyed those shows as much as anybody did, you know, just uh, listening to that, you know, all, all those great players. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's let's do now 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 go to one that's um, literally one of my favorite movies of all time and just any excuse to but the man who would be king. There is no place on earth too forbidding. There is no adventure too dangerous to dare. There is no dream of wealth and glory too impossible for the man who would be king. Connery and Kane, rogue and renegade, reckless and fearless soldiers of fortune on the richest adventure of their life. Oh man, greatest greatest how, casting ever! How great was that, huh? Oh, 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 greatest casting all the way to Michael Caine's wife. Yeah, who, who like, looks transcendent in it. I mean, you know, she's like unbelievable, and you and you totally believe that they would give up the whole world for her. Actually, isn't she? Am I right, Judd? She was not Michael Caine's wife at the time. At the time that her, no. That's where they met, right? Yeah. Oh, was, yeah. that, was, that, was that what it was? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all makes huh. sense. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, how great were those two together? Oh, my mm. goodness. You know, and uh, John Houston, man, you know, uh, just one of the most, you know, crazy, very consistent, really. You know, I mean, just, I don't know. It may, it may, not, may not be every movie, but. Um, uh, you know, when he hits it, man, he hits yeah. it. I mean, I mean, I mean, the guys, you know, first movie was Maltese Falcon, right? I mean, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I think, I think, you know, things are looking good for that particular career. <laughs> I mean, you know, holy mackerel, the guy was so talented. And uh, I just love the whole, you know, 
Rudyard Kipling <laughs> connection. And what a great story. Well, there, there's a story, and I, I don't care if it's apocryphal or not. Um, what's lie in your book? How we're making up half this stuff anyway. But yeah, uh, the, really the story is that he had tried to get it done with Cary Grant and Clark Gable. Was that it, Joe? Like earlier. back in the, yeah, back earlier. The day, yeah. And there was somebody else, I can't remember who, another team in the 50s, and it didn't get made. And then late 60s, early 70s, he tried to make it with Paul Newman, Robert Redford. And the story is that Newman read the script and said, this is great. I'd be in, actually, you'll, you'll, you'll relate to this and said, this is great. We'd be nuts not to do it, but you need Connery and Kate. Uh, <laughs> there you go. See, just, I'm not the only one. I'm that's not right. the only one. That's right. That's right. You and Paul Newman. So <laughs> Paul Newman, who uh, let us segue uh, into the fact that he should have won Academy Award, really for his second and third movies. Uh, this one being uh, the second or third. Somebody up there likes me. I thought he was—he's just incredible in it. The movie ads usually say you read the book now see the picture well not me i saw them shooting the picture and then i read the book of course the movie was made some months ago and like a lot of other manhattan yokels i followed the mgm company all over new york i became more and more excited as i saw the intense and stirring realism with which this dramatic book was brought to life somebody up there likes me reveals with wonderful honesty the story of Rocky Graciano, a champion in many ways. I guess he had to fight. You know, again, one of the most emotional scenes, I think, in any film in history. Um, for those, uh, you know, we were kind of talking like everybody knows what we're talking about, which we shouldn't be doing. Uh, it's, a, it's a story of Rocky Graciano. Um, you know, uh, Rocky Barbella, which is where, where Rocky Bar Balboa came from. Uh, oh, wow. and yeah, and, 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 and his story is unbelievable. I mean, it really is one of the most incredible stories in history. Uh, Rocky, uh, just a complete fuck up, uh, ends up boxing, you know, just out of, I don't know what, you know, and, uh, you know, but cut, cut, cut to the ending and, uh, you know, it's just before the big fight. And he and he has a father. He does not get along with his father at all. And, you know, they 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 really. His father's a real uh, old school uh, Italian tough guy, and uh, you know, Rocky's a big disappointment to him his whole life. And uh, that's just really, really, really uh, just terrific. And 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 they have this moment, uh, literally. I mean, you know, there's a lot of lightness in the movie. You know, kind of some funny stuff, and but. Uh, but then there's this great moment when um, right before the right before the big fight, and, and you know he says, you know, well, I want to do something for you, you know, talk, talk to his father, you know, let me let me do something for you, you know, and, and and his father says, you know, just go go and win or go go be a champ or whatever the line is, you know, and it's it's his first time his father you know, said anything nice to him <laughs> the entire his whole life, you know. <laughs> And it's, it is an incredibly emotional uh, moment. I mean, I, I'll never forget that, you know. Uh, it's Robert Wise, you know, another, another guy who uh, he knew what he was doing, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, speaking of which, uh, West Side Story was big for me. Big, big. Unlike other classics. 
West Side Story grows younger. to the gang thing which led to my attraction to the band thing you know i think you know and and my and and made me fall in love with, with latin music i think that was i think that was that was yeah. it you know i mean leonard bernstein you know <laughs> that, that famous salsa artist yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that mumbo <laughs> king that was back when you were you were allowed to write outside your ethnicity <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. Imagine we have no, we'd have no sketches of Spain either with Miles Davis, would we? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was you know, I mean, that that music to me, that is the greatest music ever written, and I and I mean that. Uh, counting classical music, rock, any music in the world, the West Side Story music is to me the greatest ever made. It's unbelievable. I it never never stops blowing my mind you know i've seen that movie a hundred times and uh, just the the incredible creativity that bernstein you, you know used on that thing it's uh beyond belief well the now you're gonna get, now you're gonna get to see it again because uh, uh steven spielberg's version is coming out i guess this year right if they don't oh postpone it again I'm, I'm a little concerned. I got to tell you the truth. Okay. I mean, I, and I love Steven. I love him. Uh, you know, uh, he's always the nicest guy in the world whenever I meet him. And uh, I'm a little concerned. I got to tell you the truth, Joe. I'm a little concerned. It's making me anxious. Yeah. And, you know, there's certain things you just don't got to think twice about redoing. You yeah. know? And, and that's one of them, I think. You know, I mean, you know. Ben Hur, I mean, really, you know? Yeah, you know. Well, that you see how well that worked out. You really, you really want to redo that? One, <laughs> you guys really? don't like Charlton Heston? No, no. They, he means the new Ben Hur. Wait, there's a new Ben Hur because Ben Hur was a remake. They made it. They made it. Well, yeah, but they well, made well, another well, one. Well, well, okay, I, I, okay, I thought you were complaining about the Heston version. I'm like, no, 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 no. no, no, no. no. <laughs> you're technical about the it. best That's, movies are silent movies. God damn it! The remake <laughs> from the silent movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, the one they did a couple years ago. Yeah, the one I mean, no one remembers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here I am. Oh uh, uh, God, that's a shame. But anyway, best. Believe me, I, I hope for the best. I hope it's great. Yeah, would it be great if it's great? Yes, I mean, absolutely. Well, uh, they redid the Broadway play a few years ago, and I went to it, and you know, half it was in Spanish. You know, to be to be more realistic. <laughs> I'm like, are you mentally ill or worried? <laughs> Are you out of your fucking mind? I mean, really? Half of it's in Spanish to be more realistic. <laughs> There's no subtitles in Broadway. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I don't know, man. You know, the world's getting a little out of control with this uh, stuff. But uh, 
I honestly, I, I hope for the best. I really hope for the best, but what balls? Well, what if balls? not, we'll, we'll always have in the heights. That's right. We always have what? In the heights. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I, I loved, I remember, um, you know, I saw it afterwards, even though it came out before. I remember seeing on the waterfront and, and recognizing it was fun. It's one of those things where you sort of start recognizing how, how artists evolve and find ideas that they develop over time. Cause so much of the score of on the waterfront that Bernstein did, you can feel it. Although we talked about this, Joe, was he doing, was West side story already done as a, a Broadway show at that point? Cause I feel mm, like not, not then no. Okay. Cause you can hear the, the score of on the waterfront kind of bleeding into that sound that, that mm. lush orchestral, I just can't even describe it, but, and it always like as a rock and roll kid, it always had a sort of, there's, there's, there's a, there's a kind of rock and roll element to what he does, even though I can't pinpoint it. Stevie's looking like I'm insane. No, 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 no. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, he had, he had something different going on there. I don't know if it was a combination of kind of a jazz, you know, he had a jazz yeah, thing in him also, you know, that was unexpected, I think, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. That's uh, what a movie that was. I forget yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have, do you have time for two more? Cause there's two more on this yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Sure, oh, sure, great, sure. great, 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 great. Cause I, uh, I want to, um, one is, uh, let's, let's do killing with Chinese. Let's go. One late. For Christ's sake, move your ass. Let's go. I'm a club owner. I took a place from nothing and I built it into something. I've been loan sharked to death. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Crazy Horse West is proud and pleased to present to you a new guest entertainer, Mr. Tony Amashio. Take it away, Tony. I killed a few people. Oh. With an M1. I learned it. You learned it. You learn to be happy, you learn to play the fool, you learn to be what everybody wants you to be. That is, that is the one Cassavetes film I can connect to. I, for some reason, I'm just like, I'm, 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 I'm immune to him or something. I don't know what it is. I know everybody uh, loves him. Yeah, but what's interesting is that that's the, of all the people who love Cassavetes, that's the one that they like the least. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> well, that, makes, that makes sense, right? Yeah, I, I know what you mean, though. His, his, his movies are tough. They're, they're tough, you know? Uh, I love them. I, I, I wish I got a chance to spend more time with him. You know, he, I had that one incident in the book, you know, That's right. when I met him, you know, but, but, uh, I like, you know, I, I love, love him as an actor, one of my favorite actors of all time. And, sure. and uh, you know, I, I even love the TV show, which was great, you know, which he was just doing for the money to, to, to make, him make shadows or whatever it was. For faces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think shadows are the first one. Or was faces yeah, the first one. Yeah. But, uh, shadows, that, Another thing, you never see that TV show. You know, that never gets shown. But anyway, oh, the, um, the jazz detective one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got the DVD set. Yeah. I wanted to bring that back. But anyway, um, uh, you know, Ben Gazzaro, just great, you know. Um, I almost put St. Jack on the list also. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, you know, what can you say? It's just... It's just uh, it's one of those, it's a little bit more uh, of a straight ahead. You know, a lot of, a lot of Casavetti stuff is very improvised and uh, 
little bit all over the place, you know, a little hard, a little far, hard to follow, and you know. But this one has a you know, pretty straight ahead plot, I, I think. You know, that's why you know, it's one of my favorites, and uh, you know, it's actually a very similar role in the St. Jack kind of role. Yeah, you know, yeah, he was great yeah. in those parts too, because yeah, uh, yeah. you buy him completely as a tough guy, but there's also this kind of vulnerability to him, and. Um, yeah. Yeah, but living in that sleazy world, but but with with, with honor, you know, what I mean, like an honorable, mm-hmm. <laughs> an honorable guy in the middle of us, the sleaze. Uh, honorable you know, pimp. Yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of a thing. It's nice. It's a nice. It's a nice idea, and uh, he just carries it off so well. Uh, you know, I love him, and and, and Peter yeah. Falk. I mean. Uh, for me, Robin and the Seven Hoods is the greatest, one of the greatest comedies of all time. You know, uh, Peter Fox is unbelievable in it. Unbelievable. Joe, uh, you're I nodding. I gotta, I gotta go. I've never seen that movie all the way through. I've only seen it bits and pieces on TV. Robin the Seven Hoods? I need to, right? Oh, forget it. It's one of the greatest. Are you kidding? Want to hear a wild idea? Robin Hood. Yeah. Robin Hood in Chicago. No, 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 no bows and arrows, none of that. You think that's wild? Well, they went and did it. Called it, now get this, Robin and the Seven Hoods. Frank Sinatra is Robin. It's like when they started the United States, you know, they put all the states together and they made one union. And I'm like the uh, first president. Give my regards to Martha. Dean Martin is Little John. Sammy Davis Jr. is Will Scarlet. Alan Adale, you know who they got? Bing Crosby, for heaven's sakes. You're a very popular man, Mr. Robbo. An honest-to-goodness Robin Hood. Who's made Marion, you ask? Barbara Rush. The, the, the songs are fantastic. Uh, you know, Bing Crosby's fantastic. <laughs> Frank and Dean. Are really Lots of good dancing on the bar by uh, Sammy. Oh, Sammy Davis has a great uh, machine gun bit. Uh, you know, re- really, you know, they talk about three or four or five, but there's really only two Rat Pack movies. You know, it's Robin the Seven Hoods and Ocean's Eleven. That, that's really all there is. You know, uh, Sergeant Three is just the two of them, right? And, and uh, whatever or, the other ones. Four for Texas them. isn't very good. Right, but there's only you know, there's only Frank and Dean, right? Pretty much. Uh, but the other, you know, but Robin the Seven Hoods. Oh no, that's the classic of all time. I mean. Fantastic stuff. Very good. And Peter Falk will make you laugh out loud. Out loud. Hey, I'm doing it. And I what what opportunity. I was just checking to see is it out on Blu- it is out on Blu-ray. And and Joe, our sponsors, Movies Unlimited have it. So um that's our sponsor. We always like sponsor. to plug our sponsor when yes. we they sell physical media <laughs> in, in 2021. God bless them. Um yeah, no, but that's the only it. but that's the only way you can hold on to these things. I mean, you, you 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 do so much work trying to, you know, preserve 50s rock and you know, try to get these things out in front of people, you know, that, that they don't have an, a chance to see. And uh if you don't own it, you, you know, you don't really own it. Well, that's true. And and you know, that's why, you know, I was trying to decide, you know, what to do record company wise, and, and I went with Universal and I said, listen. Uh, I, I, I don't, don't give me any money because I'm allergic to money anyway. Uh, but, but, oh, wait, read but I read the book. He really is. It's insane. I want to be, be able to have physical product worldwide. And I mean, from vinyl to CD, you know, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and so all my, my, you know, the two, 
I put out six album packages in the last in, in the last three years, you know, including my the score from Lily Hammer and uh, both Soulfire, Summer of Sorcery, the live versions of them. Yeah, uh, all of my catalog, you know. So I mean, uh, you know, I, I I agree with you, Joe. You, you want to be able to touch it and feel it, and and I and I have the greatest graphic artist in my office, uh, Crazy Louie, who does all this artwork for me, and uh, you know, and, and you know, it's just different, you know. Especially, I mean, I was so happy when vinyl you know, vinyl made a comeback, you know, for that reason, you know. If people get a chance to see artwork now, and get credits, by the way, you know. Yeah. I mean, why do the record companies and publishers, especially, agree to have downloads with no credits? You know, it costs nothing, zero, you know, right. to include credits, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, no wonder these kids think this music falls off trees. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, now with the vinyl, you got, you know, a list of the army that makes the records and, you know, plus the artwork, and it's, it's nice. You know? But also saying, even you know, when I'm talking to people for whom none of that is an argument, I'm like, okay, how about this then? You're never going to walk into your record collection and find the parts of it have just vanished mysteriously. <laughs> I mean, that that happens. You buy something from any of these places digitally, and it's like they they they. How does this, I don't even understand how this works, but they they just they have the right to sort of go, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Boop, it's gone. Like that's. Yeah. You know, or, or your Wi-Fi isn't working that day or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's so many. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of being able to hold it. Uh, maybe it's just a control freak thing. But oh, it's proof. It, it, it's proof of our existence. What are you talking about? Yes. It's, it's, it's proof of our existence. You want to see it, right? That's why we become artists. That's the best argument for vinyl, too, because even without electricity, you can, you know, when we're in our caves in the sort of Mad Max dystopian future, if you put your ear real close and spin the record by hand, you can sort of get a sense of what's going on. Good, good, good luck doing that with your, uh, your, uh, your, your iTunes, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Physical sounds. And that is why we are proud to be sponsored by MoviesUnlimited.com. Plus, all this month through the month of September, every title from Criterion is on sale. So head on over to moviesunlimited.com, the movie collector's website. Um, let's let's do one more and then and then we'll 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 let you move on in the world, man. But this has been so much fun. I, I, a movie I love. Um uh Kiss Me Deadly. Girls fleeing in terror from things beyond description. <laughs> My name is Mike Hammer, for matters. What do you want? He was out to get men who tortured women and killed with the ferocity of wild beasts. This was their jungle. Cut the knife! Kiss Me Deadly stars Ralph Meeker, winner of the New York Critics Award. Through his great talent, the vivid character of Mike Hammer comes to life as never before. Oh man, you know, I'm a big Mar guy. And, uh, you know, uh, that's an odd one. You know, it's, it's especially odd, I think, because yeah. of the, uh, the whole nuclear, <laughs> you know, weird, weird nuclear subplot. But I just, you know, uh, the, the, that particular role, you know, I thought, I thought Ralph Meeker was just perfect. He's so good. You know, yeah. Playing that, you know. Uh, 
and 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 and, and Robert Aldrich, no, no, you know, again, uh, one of those guys that just uh, really just knows what he's doing, I think. And and uh, and, uh, and I, I didn't notice, uh, but I, I heard uh, some years ago. I think both Truffaut and Godard, uh, and, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed this, but both both of them regard. Uh, Kiss Me Deadly as the most important influence on French New Wave. Really? How about that? Yeah? Yeah? yeah and I, I, and I, I, was, I was a little surprised about that, you know? Um, I just think, you know, I just think it's that, you know, it's just got, it's just got a great vibe, you know? What can you say about, about you know, when, when noir is right, there's nothing quite like it, you know? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's like a dream. It's almost like a, a dream, you know, like you're talking about before. So it's almost like you're dreaming the movie, you know. It has that because yeah. you know because of the shadows and the lighting and, and and all that, you know. But but uh, and even the credits come up backward. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, with that you know that hard boiled, you know, whether it's you know Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe or you know whoever you know whichever one of them, you know, uh, is this so perfect? Because they. Uh, you know, they're just they're just doing their job again. There's a little 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 bit of that existential nature of those also, where they well, just. Also, uh, one of the things I love about that is is you know I tried because you know I, I grew up reading you know Travis McGee and all sorts of like great detective fiction and I would go to Mike Hammer every now and then and I just go is it me I I don't like these books I don't like this guy and and it's the first time and then you find out it's like uh, uh aldrich and the writer um uh were they uh Bezerides. Bezerides. Bezerides, who was a novelist first um they didn't like mike hammer either and it's like the only mike <laughs> hammer movie where everybody involved knows that mike hammer is a dick and, <laughs> and they're not trying to make you like him which is one of the things i love about the film the, the, the producer made yeah. two other mike hammer pictures without aldrich and unfortunately they're just what you might think they would be yeah, I didn't know that. Which uh, ones? My gun is quick. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, and there's a, and the other one I can't remember. Victor Seville was the name of the producer. Okay, but he didn't do no, the Aldrich. one. He didn't do the one where Spillane himself played. No, no, that was Girl Hunters. That's, that was later. Uh, but awful. Aldrich uh, started out as an assistant director, and uh, he was the assistant director on Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> so he obviously picked up a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that before. That's a good one. Wow. Uh, yeah, but I, I just I love that film, and definitely you know one of the fun things um, about sort of discovering this side of you, which I've I've learned about in the last couple of years, is like really if you're not following uh, little Stevie on Twitter, um, you, you basically lie. Anytime there's something great on TCM, you're live tweeting it. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning, which uh, that's where all the good stuff is. Yes. <laughs> I do, I do. I've been, uh, you know, Ben wanted me to come on and, and do one of those three, three, three movie things, you know. So again, I was like, I don't know where, I don't know where to begin with three movies, you know. I mean, which, 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 which subgenre should we pick? You know, <laughs> yeah, this is why podcasting so much better. Is uh, you, you can just go. Yeah. And go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, they should be paying you. They should definitely be paying you. You should be a regular. Come on. Yeah. Come on, there's, by the way, hang on, let me look at this long list of things that, uh, uh, yeah, TV movie host, not on this list of things he has already done. <laughs> See, there's, some, so there's, there's still some hope yet. World's left to conquer. 
<laughs> so the name of the book yes it's called unrequited infatuations and it's dropping today uh tuesday september 28th um at bookstores everywhere online there's an audio version i may even just to hear you do it i may have to get the audio version now too and just check it out again um or next time my wife and i go for a long drive we'll listen to it you just uh, you just want to hear him say nobody was listening again that's right <laughs> <laughs> it's not true there were we were out here man we have been out here for a long time and uh um and we're still here. that really i do yeah anyway congratulations on this thing it's a it's a good idea it's fun, uh, uh thank you no it's fun. it started out as kind of a thing i don't know 100 and, i don't know how many have we done joe it's great 100 150 150 yes too many well, I don't know. yeah but, but by the time you're on you will definitely be up there in the 175 category <laughs> something like that yeah but uh, but thank you so much and this has been a lifelong dream to just be able to sit here and chat with you and, and let alone talk about movies something where i i'm not i i i can't talk about rock and roll with somebody who does it i don't I'm like i'm a fucking idiot i buy records but i can at least sort of hold my own with you on movies and uh it's just an absolute and thanks for letting us uh, get a sneak peek at the book because it's, oh god uh, yeah. i it's it's i was really impressed well, thank you. That means a lot to me, really. Yeah, not 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 many people have you know got a chance to read it yet. So, oh, by the way, though, I hear one guy, um, Paul Simon. You know, he got a, he got a blurb by. <laughs> Wait, just Google little Stephen and Paul Simon if you want. Just like one of the greatest stories of all time. Um, you know, it's also in the book. Um, but uh, no, I just trying to, uh, uh, the, the book when it comes out in heart, it's going to have a blurb from uh, uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's, that's pretty unusual. Wow. I was uh, particularly uh, proud of that. And, uh, and Bruce. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. I feel like Bob that one would be like if, if it, I mean, you know, that's, that's a phone call you can make if you're this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But not that it's a bad, but, but yeah, that has to be, um, that's an amazing thing. Great fun. By the way, thank you so much, Rand. Thanks a um, lot. Great to meet yeah, you. Yeah, we are going to drop this on the day it comes out. Um, we're not even we're not going to tell anybody you're on until that day. We like to sort of drop right. these things. So it's our secret. Yeah, it is. It is our okay. secret. Um, okay. But but thank you. This was a real thanks pleasure. a lot, pal. Thank you. Our show is recorded in several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of Trailers from Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. And a very special thank you this week to a friend of the show, Susan McHugh. You know what you did. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Little Stevie, take me to Jersey. I know the time is getting late. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. 
If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.